Why is he shouting? I don't know. If we're really quiet, guys, you can listen to my dad bitch about political things. <laughs> but he doesn't understand. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> you can hear Tessa just like, <laughs> This is a non-political podcast, guys. Because... I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I don't, well, I care, but... I care, but also... Also... Calm down. Everybody just needs to pipe the fuck down. It's all this bullshit. Opinions are just that. They're opinions. They're, They're opinions. not necessarily facts, and it's fine. Oy vey. Right now, Christina is calling her house to ask her dad to stop yelling. If you could stop shouting, then just be top-notch. Bye. <laughs> what do you say? It's like, okay. <laughs> you could great. If you could just stop shouting, that'd be great. Finish <laughs> my record. <laughs> Try to be patient down here. But you're really fucking and it's not stopping. Not quiet. You're not quiet. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I start this one. You do. Welcome to episode 37 of I'm Sorry What the Podcast. I'm Amanda. I'm Christina. And we are your hosts today for this October spook fest of. Spooky, spooky, spooky October. <laughs> that was Amanda as a ghost. Jeez <laughs> 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 oh. Louise. All right. How you doing? I'm. I'm okay. <laughs> Just talk, it. Nielsen. I'm fine. It's fine. I'm fine. Everything is fine. I'm okay. I got like a fuzzy in my mouth. She probably spit everywhere just in case. <laughs> <laughs> just watching it. Some <laughs> 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 people just scrape it off. <laughs> that Christina. I have a clear memory. My grandma Bev and I used to go to movies all the time, sitting in a movie theater with her. <laughs> you remember my grandma? Mm-hmm. She'd get popcorn. She, the kernels, she'd eat it and she'd go. <laughs> there'd be people in front of her and she'd just eat popcorn. She'd get a kernel and she'd just go. <laughs> grandma, you can't do that. Oh fuck! No How are you? Yet? Oh well. Fine. Oh, are you? God, we're we're just a couple of fine ass bitches. <laughs> we're just so positive. Oh yeah. My life is falling apart. It seems, but it's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> we have no jobs. We have no money. Our, Our pets. pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. Uh. Well. <clears throat> I mean, it's been fine. a long September. 
Yeah. Fucking glad that shit's over. Busy as hell. Was sick most of it. Yeah, pretty much. And had no time to do anything, including record. So sorry about last week, guys. So, you know, sorry about that. (laughs) Hope you enjoyed the fuck sakes. Right. Um, A little something something. Just a little something something. A little cushion for the pushing, if you know what I mean. (laughs) I don't know what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. <laughs> oh, I don't. I guess I don't. How do we do this? Anything. It's been a while since we recorded. What do we fucking do? I am a. We're a month deep and no recording. No. So I'm a little off kilter. Uh, you want to tell me a story? Oh, we're just gonna dive balls deep, right? Might in. as well. Fucking... We got some long stories. Suck it real hard. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I went to Subway. You just, you, your brain is. <laughs> I, I couldn't. I don't even know how to explain it. Like, just walking through life, throwing weird shit out in the open, seeing what sticks to the wall. <laughs> Been with you for like an hour. <laughs> I think I got a contact high from your, <laughs> from your brain just melting out of your ear. I just, tonight, is just, I'm excited to record. I love recording. <laughs> I just got really excited, and then you know what happens when you get excited? Just random things start popping out. It's normally just stay in the brain, but. We're about to walk into Subway tonight, and we go to turn a corner, and a guy comes flying up the road. She goes, hey. And he's like, hi. She goes, don't know that guy. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's small town. Everybody. Hey. <laughs> don't know who that fucking was. Don't know that guy. And then we walk, bust in like we own the place, and everybody turns around and looks at us. It's like, hey. And then a ghost started singing at us, so she turned it off. It was like, annoying. Well, they were just complaining about how it yeah. kept going off, and you're like, <laughs> just go ahead and turn that off. And then I tried to order my sub, and Amanda yelled at me for talking funny. She said, what did you say? I would like first. some, I would like a spicy oh, Italian on wheat bread. <laughs> like, talk normal. People don't understand you. <laughs> and then they're like, she goes, I want double. And she looked around, and I was like, she's going to say Chez. You know what she fucking said? Chez. Chez. <laughs> Cheese. She wants double cheese, she please. Wants, she wants fucking cheese because I love the dairy. They didn't know how to respond to us. <laughs> we were very overwhelming. <laughs> and then I just wanted my coupon for eleven ninety nine. Two full meals for eleven ninety nine. Mm-hmm. They couldn't find the fucking coupon. She goes, "Can we do like a foot long for?" I was 11? like, "I don't care. Just charge me eleven ninety nine. I would take it if you would just write in eleven ninety nine. If I bought eleven dollars and ninety nine cents worth of cookies, I don't give a fuck." Just, that's what I want you to have. That's what I want you to charge me, and then I'll give you money. <laughs> right. Bitch, this is no business transaction. Just charge me some money. I don't want to pay the full price. <laughs> all I'm trying to say. I just want a motherfucking discount. Yo. 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 Yo, 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 yo. Yeah, 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 yo. Okay. All right. For real. You got a story? I got a story. Are you ready for some ooky, spooky stories? Yeah, this gets dark. Um, my, yeah, I'm ready. It's a, it's true crime, but it's also haunting. You've, you, I've told you this. You've heard this story. I know you have. Because you've, you've heard every story that I enjoy and want to tell you. (laughs) So, 
Whatever. You have totally caught me off guard with some. Ruin all my fun. That's you're you're being dramatic. I might be. <laughs> I might be. I'm maybe. So I'm gonna try and tell this in a way I haven't heard it told before to try and like trick you and or just take a while for you to like catch on so it's not totally boring the whole time. If you know what it is boring. If you know what it is, don't no, just don't fucking shout it out and ruin it like you do every time when you're like, Oh, is it this one? And you're like, We're fucking give away the ending, you goddamn jackass First of all, I don't think I ever yell out names because I don't fucking know names. No, you always go, is it the one where he chops his head off? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, the fucking lead, man. (laughs) Well, then I just won't say anything. No, don't be stupid. You're stupid. Okay. I won't get excited about anything. (laughs) I won't talk it. Uh. (laughs) All right. Okay. Night. <laughs> visual platform would be great. <gasps> we need to we need to get on YouTube, man. I told you. I was just talking about that last week. Like we gotta get a YouTube going. We, we gotta get something. YouTube. Welcome to YouTube. In nineteen eighty six. In nineteen eighty six. Massachusetts. <laughs> Please talk like walling. <laughs> In 1986, Pepperell, Massachusetts. <laughs> Very, there's a comma, so you gotta have the Pepperell, Massachusetts, Massachusetts. Okay, okay, okay. We're in fucking Massachusetts, dude. What? <laughs> Mine isn't even Massachusetts too. Oh, we're just like fucking Massachusetts in it up. Okay, we're going to just skip by that. (laughs) So, two sisters, Annie and Jessica, just lost their mother to cancer. Okay. Um, Their father, Brian, who is now the sole parent, is working frequently. He's working most nights. So the sisters are kind of home alone, trying to grieve and get over their mother's loss. So, it's the 80s, 1986. What do teens in the 80s do? They play with a fucking Ouija board. Oh, damn! Well, there was a couple. Some stories said seance. Some stories said Ouija board. Either way, don't fuck with shit you don't understand, homie. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So through, so I'm interchanging seance and Ouija board because some some stories said both. So you get the picture. Right. You get the fucking picture. Uh. This is what I mean. She's like three different personalities. She'll say something, then she's like, actually, I want to say it this way. She says it again. And you just kind of like blend them together eventually. It's just very like highlighted for whatever reason. It's fine. So, through the seance, the girls believe that they contact their mother from the other side. And that same evening, um, Jessica and Annie received a rhythmic knocking against their bedroom walls as they slept. Hate it. Hate everything about it. I, do, I don't like paranormal stuff, so this... I mean, I do. I find it actually really freaky. So that's why I like it. Yeah. But also... I don't want it. I don't fucking want it. So, to the girls it appeared as though the seance was successful. Um, the two girls spoke to the unseen force as though they were talking to their mother one more time. They'd asked the spirit questions, 
to which it would reply with an answer via knocks against the wall. Okay. Straight conversations with something questionable. Cool. Yes. Cool, cool. So this continued on for several evenings until the knocking became so regular regular that it disturbed the girl's sleep. So they like could not sleep because it was just like all fucking night long. Excuse me, mom, could you stop? Yep. Um, and so the girls started to, like, kind of freak out and think that maybe it wasn't their mom. Right. You know, because they played with a fucking Ouija board. Well, and now it's freaking them out, and you never mm-hmm. think that, like, your loved one is going to scare you from right. the other side. So then, they don't tell their dad about it, but over time, they start noticing other things. So objects in the house begin to disappear, um, or they would, like, lay their clothes out in the morning and then the next day when they woke up, they would be, like, thrown across the floor. Okay. Um, <clears throat> or, like, furniture would be, like, there'd be a chair that sits in the living room, and in the morning it'd be in the dining room. Gross. So just weird shit moving. Um, and the girls would also come home to find the furniture, like, rearranged or, like, moved to other sides of the room, like the couch is on the other side of the room. I don't – I hate that. Okay. Um, They would hear bumps in the night – that would, like, move throughout the house. So, like, they were walking down the hall and they would hear knocks along the wall as they walked down the house. Gross. Um, and so they believed that they were being haunted by, like, something evil. Um, but when the girls finally break down and tell their father with it, he blamed, like, their belief in the supernatural activity uh, as a weird way of coping right. with their grief and kind of brushed it off. Which, I mean, could make a little mm-hmm. bit of sense. <clears throat> Sounds like a poltergeist of some sort. Right. So things would then, after he brushed them off, things would get increasingly worse. So then one evening, the strange knocking had begun while Jessica and Annie were alone in the front room of their house. And at this point, the constant tapping had become so commonplace but that they like almost didn't notice it half the time. But it was also kind of like driving them crazy when it was like quiet. Right. Um... But this evening, they they noticed that the noises were coming not from the walls, but from the basement. Yeah, that too. So they got a kitchen knife, and they made their way downstairs, because fuck that, but... I, why? Why? When they got to the basement, written in a red substance on the wall was, I'm in your room, come find me. Fucking nope the fuck out of there. So the girls were on like, fuck that, and nope the fuck out is what I actually wrote nice. right here. <laughs> and nope the fuck out of there, ran to the neighbor's house. Oh my gosh. Uh, they waited for their dad to return home, told him what they discovered. Um, his, their father called the cops, but was super pissed when the cops did like an inspection of the house, and the red substance was ketchup on the walls. So he thought it was them. So he thought it was them. He basically scolded the girls um, and believed it was just attention-seeking behavior. And uh, he ordered them to undergo counseling to help them cope with what he believed was the source of their... Right, he's going, clearly you're having issues. Because nothing was happening. There was no knocks. There was nothing moved around when their father was home. Well, yeah, and he was gone a lot because Mm -hmm. he was working all the time. Um, So the weeks passed and their dad believed the counseling um, they were receiving was helping. There weren't any incidents, um, but until several weeks later, a similar incident occurred. So the girls heard knocking sounds, um, but this time they came from behind in Annie's bedroom wall. 
when the two girls entered, they, like, left the room to try and figure out where it was coming from. But when they came back, the message on the walls, written in red again, said, I'm back. Find me if you can. So they obviously, once again, nope the fuck out. Right. To the neighbor's house. The neighbor called Brian, their dad again. um, And he kind of yelled at them. And then he said, I'm going to go in the house. There's nothing in there. Um, so he went straight into the house to prove there was no one inside or nothing going on. However, when Brian entered the house, he noticed that there had been, like, the house had been, like, torn apart. Like, it was been a mess. Um, and it became apparent that someone had been inside the house when Brian, the girls, and their neighbor were all, like, outside. There, there was something else going on in the house. It was, like, messed up. I don't know how messy. They didn't really describe how messy it was, but it was clear that the girls hadn't done this and there was something else going on. Then when Brian entered Annie's room alone, another message had been scrawled on the wall that said, marry me. I want to yell out a prediction, but I don't want to in case it's correct. Then when Brian turned around, he was greeted with something else. A boy stood dressed in the clothing of Brian's deceased wife, wearing her makeup, a dress, and blonde wig. In one of his hands was a hatchet. I remember. Yes. So. Like, is someone living in the walls? Obviously, they, like, struggled, because there's a fucking creepy boy living in their walls. Hello, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Ma'am? Because he's got a blonde wig and his wife's clothes on. Excuse me, ma'am. <laughs> Can you put the hatchet down? Uh, Brian was very confused, uh, and he couldn't figure out how, at, during the struggle, the boy, like, disappeared from sight, and they could not find him. He's a um, slick motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, just a slippery little fucker. <laughs> Don't like that sound effect. So when the police were called... In to investigate later the same evening, it became clear why the boy was able to vanish so suddenly. After s- discovering that each message had been written in ketchup, local police searched the house for clues of how the intruder may have been able to access the house in the first place. One officer found a hidden crawl space behind a cupboard, which was built into the wall of Annie's bedroom. When the officer opened the hatch, he discovered the boy curled up inside. That's so fucking creepy. So... When they were having all those issues at Jesse's house when I was living there, mm-hmm. my dad's like, well, I'm going to go up into the attic, which is like a crawl space attic, just has a thing covering it, and mm-hmm. you have to take a ladder and go straight That's up. That's how we have one of those. Yeah. <clears throat> He's like, I'm going to go look in the attic because obviously there's like a connection there if it's not something down mm-hmm. here. And I was like, if you find somebody up there, I'm going to run away. He's <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I was like, if someone's living in the attic, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> So they pull him from the crawlspace. Uh, they pulled him from the crawlspace and placed him under arrest. Uh, once he had been removed from the scene, officers conducted a thorough search of the residence, and they discovered that they he had been living inside the walls of their home. The passageway, which he, which had been tunneled around to other areas of the house. There were a handful of peepholes dotted around so that he could observe Annie Andrews from whichever room she was in. Ew, so he was watching her when she was, like, bathing mm-hmm. and changing and 
shit. Yeah. Fucker. And he had been pretending to be the ghost of Annie and Jessica's mother in order to torment them. So it's unknown, though, whether he was planning on revealing himself to the girls while dressed as their dead mother or whether he liked to try and genuinely pass himself off as her spirit so fucking or whether crazy. to terrify them. However, they believe it was to terrify them because he was holding a fucking hatchet. Um, Unless that was for the father's benefit. Yeah, I don't know. But either way, that's fucking terrifying. So the worst part is, though, that they recognized the boy. Was it an ex-boyfriend? Yes, it was Danny oh. LaPlante, I think is how they say his name. LaPlante. He was born in 1970 in Townsend, Massachusetts. He suffered a traumatic childhood. Um, while very little is known in regards like, to the specific details, uh, because he was a minor during this part of it, a lot of it's kind of unlocked. Mm-hmm. But they do know he suffered sexual and psychological abuse at the hands of multiple adults in his life. Aww. Um, Aww. His father was the individual who administered the majority of his son's punishments, allegedly tormenting him physically, emotionally, and sexually on a regular basis gross um it obviously affected every aspect of his life he struggled with school both academically and socially um in addition to being diagnosed with dyslexia from an early age uh he had very few friends throughout his school uh most of his classmates at the high school referred to him as creepy or weird they're not wrong uh in his early years he was referred by school officials to a psychiatrist due to his abnormal behavior and general reluctance towards his appearance hygiene and self-improvement oh Oh, Um, well when someone treats you as if you're a piece of shit your entire life you treat yourself like you're a piece of shit right so so being referred to a psychiatrist could have helped him However, it was here that he was diagnosed with hyperactivity disorder, so ADD as well. ADHD. Yeah. Um, which didn't mesh well with his already deteriorating mental state as a result of his troubled home and school life. Uh, because his psych- The relationship with his psychiatrist eventually took a turn, a dark turn, when the psychiatrist made sexual advances toward him. What the fuck? Yes. Is this kid just, like, irresistible or something? <laughs> I was like, that sounds terrible, but, like, what yeah. the fuck? So then for the following year, the psychiatrist sexually abused him during their sessions, um, which obviously also left what the fuck? an impact on him. Oh, my God. Um, I hope that person got skinned alive. So, yeah. Not a good, obviously a shitty childhood. Rough, rough start. Rough, rough start. start. Uh, in his early years, he he was a small-time thief. Spent evenings breaking into people's properties in the Townsend area and stealing their valuables. Uh, as his burglary skills increased, so did his desire for torment. So he was breaking into people's homes and not only taking their possessions, but also leaving behind items in his wake. He would also move items around in people's homes in a way that was clear that someone had entered it, but not actually take anything. Just going and fuck with people. Yeah, it was like some brain torment. Right. Eventually, he was invading people's homes purely just for the purpose of fucking with them. Uh, In early 1986, he obtained the phone number of a family's address in the local area. It is likely that he had burgled the house at some point and somehow retrieved the telephone number, although they can't confirm it. And the house belonged to a family of three, a father and his two daughters who had just recently lost their mother to cancer. Hmm. The daughters, Annie and Jessica, obviously, 
our main people. Uh, they began to converse with Danny via the phone. He told them that he had been given their number by a friend who went to the same school as them, that he was good-looking, athletic, blonde, well-educated boy who also lived in the area. Annie and Danny became well acquainted after several phone calls and then arranged to go on a date. But when he arrived at Andrew's doorstep, Annie was shocked to discover that the boy she'd been conversing with was the opposite of who he had said he was. She's like, yeah, you, instead you. of an athletic jock type boy she was expecting, he was disheveled, greasy haired, dark haired boy with no attractive features whatsoever. <laughs> That's so sad. He was a gangly motherfucker. He was a gangly motherfucker. But, however, Annie allowed him to take her to the local fair, but just after an hour, she was creeped the fuck out and made her excuses and went home. She's like, I gave it a good college gave it a try. <laughs> no, thank you. So it was during that date, though, that he had discovered that Annie and Jessica's mother had recently lost their, or Annie and Jessica had recently lost their mother to cancer. Um, And he took the reason she became so uncomfortable on the date was because he took so much interest regarding the details of her mother's death. He wanted to know, um, it seemed as though he was so obsessed with the death of her mother, continually questioning her on how she felt at the moment she died and how much she her mom suffered. So I, that's why she was like, I'm, I'm going to go home now. So Annie didn't willingly see LaPlante again following their date, but she did not know that that date had created an obsession. Right. So for the following year, he was placed, after he was arrested, um, he was placed in a juvenile facility where he remained until October of 1987. And then almost immediately following his release, um, he returned basically to burglary. So... He was released on October 9th of 1987, and at that point he was technically released to juvenile courts, mm -hmm. so he was arrested to juvenile courts, and his mother was able to pay a $10,000 cash bail for his release, and then he wasn't due back in court until December 11th. Okay. But he obviously, he immediately went back to robbing homes on October 14th, so less than a week later. Right. Um, he had two twenty-two caliber guns with with their holsters were stolen from a nearby home. Three weeks later, Danny's stepfather found one of the guns and holsters in a laundry basket that belonged to Daniel. Okay. Uh, he lied about where he obtained it and never told anyone of the second gun. On November 16th, he broke into the home of Andrew and Priscilla Gustafsson. Um, several items were stolen, just as things had been disappearing from homes all over the neighborhood. And just as before he had been put in the juvenile facility, it seemed he was caught. He was not caught by the police, um, but his brother saw some of the items that had been taken from the Gustafsson home. Mm -hmm. um, but it's weird. So they think that he returned back to that home a couple of times, um, going in and out. Um, and then that he had been there, saw more things, and then he'd take it and come back and kind of torment them a little bit. Okay. So Andrew Gustafson was an attorney in the Townsend area. Um, he was having he was having a good day. He began calling home around 3:45 p.m. to tell his pregnant wife Priscilla to look for a babysitter for their two young children, seven-year-old Abigail and five-year-old William, so the couple could celebrate that night for their anniversary. I think. 
Um, He did not receive an answer then or uh, the two more times he called. So he returned home from work about at about five that evening. Okay. Um, It seems that he was obviously worried because he hadn't been able to reach his house and when he or his wife. And when he went into the house, it was very quiet. He found he went to the master bedroom where he could immediately see that um, what had happened. His 33 year old wife was face down on the bed with pillows that were covered in blood covering her head. Andrew, uh, immediately called the police. Um, there were questions later as to why he did not search for his children. He called the police and left the house. And he would repeatedly say that he was sure that he would find them in some equally disturbing state. He simply could not handle that. And he was correct. The two I, children were found in separate bathrooms, drowned in the bathtubs. I don't blame him. Mm-mm. So his wife, Priscilla, who was pregnant, was shot twice in the head and had been sexually assaulted. The pillows had apparently been used to muffle the sound of the gunshots. Um, and in a 1993 appeal for LaPlante, it was described that the cause of death of the children was labeled as drowning, but it did go on to say that seven-year-old Abigail also suffered from blunt trauma to the head and compression of her neck. So maybe he was strangling them while he was trying to drown them. Right. Um, Doing a little bit of this and slamming. Yes. So by the following day um, after this had happened, um, investigators were basically on to Daniel LaPlante. Um, they, they had a search warrant for this home and there was basically a trail of evidence was found, including a footprint and a shirt found at the scene that led to him. It is not clear as to whether Daniel was at home the first time investigators arrived or if he had left sometime after. Um, but once they were certain this was who they were looking for, Daniel had already taken off. They did a 48 hour manhunt for him. Um, during that time, he had at least attempted a few more burglaries and even kidnapped a woman in her car at gunpoint. Uh, but eventually he was found hiding in a dumpster. The investigation on Danny continued right up to his trial um, in October of 1998 or 1988. Um, prosecutors were able to show that a friend of Daniel's had given him some 22 caliber bullets. Uh, yeah. The friend had also given him some. The friend had also. Given... Oh, I'm sorry. You never look at your phone <laughs> no, when I'm talking. Calm the fuck down. I was just kidding. The friend had I like also how given you tell him. me to calm down by screaming at me when I'm not yelling mad. You might have been. Mm. Old girl. Bitch. Bitch. I'm too sigh of the Listen, you're fine. The friend had also given him some... I can't even fucking handle myself. <laughs> like, the okay. Friend. <laughs> the friend had also given um some to another friend who had not yet used them okay those bullets were compared to the bullets and casings found at the scene and determined to be a match (laughs) so it was determined that uh priscilla had been sexually assaulted and the semen that had been found on the bed and her body um forensics were able to determine that that came from a type a secretor okay fucking hate that word secretion um and daniel was also a type a secretor Christina, are you a secretor? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, girl. Uh, so for those unfamiliar with what that means, 85% of the population basically emits their blood type through their bodily fluids. Um, may it be semen, saliva, or even urine. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what it is. So, um, 
this is how they were able to compare like the DNA matches and determine that it matched Daniel. Um, and then on top of that, a hair consistent with Abigail Gustafson was found on Daniel's sock when he was apprehended and fibers consistent to the home were also found there. Um, Daniel was tried as an adult for his crime um, for the death penalty, but uh, or was he was tried as an adult for his crime, but the death penalty was never an option option in Massachusetts. Um, their last execution took place in 1947, and that they had officially abolished the practice in 1984. Okay. However, fun fact about executions: the Boston bomber in 2015. Boston bomber. Yes, was sentenced to be executed. Because it was through a federal trial. Right. In Massachusetts. Right. Just a little fun fact. Um, about. <laughs> Thank you. Fun <laughs> fact about death. On October 25th, 1988, after five hours of deliberation that lasted over two days, the jury returned with a verdict of guilty on three counts of first degree murder. Uh, state law required that Daniel be sentenced to life without parole. Okay. However, it was up to the judge whether he made those sentence, sentences concurrent Okay. Meaning all served at one time, right. or consecutive, meaning they served them one after another. Um, the defense obviously wanted them to be concurrent while the prosecution was consecutive. Um, the judge agreed with the prosecution, sentenced Daniel to the consecutive life terms in prison. So he got three consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. Good. However, over the years, uh, Daniel filed appeals, uh, but none were successful. They were all mainly based on two issues, attempting to have the initial search of the home declared illegal. Uh, and then effect, and then his ineffective counsel. Um, the attempt to attack the search warrant was based on the issue of the description of the home, but uh, all of his appeals failed. Oh, well, so it doesn't I mean, matter anyway. Well, whatever. Um, he's also been attempting to sue the court multiple times between 1988 and 2014 to sue uh, for various reasons. In the jail for various reasons, just oh, just like dumb things yeah. that happen, like oh, mistreatment because I didn't Pretty get much. this, this, and this. Yeah. Okay. So in 2013, the United States Supreme Court decided that mandatory life without parole sentences should not be, not have been, or can can or should. Took <laughs> <laughs> my life, man. <laughs> So, in <laughs> fuck me, in two thousand four, it's okay. Thirteen can be. <laughs> We're fine. We're you know what year it is. United States Supreme Court. Fuck it. They decided that mandatory life without parole sentences should not have been or should not continue to be given to defendants who were minors. When oh yes, God bless you, my child. Oh thank you. When their crimes were committed, it's like I'm like. Hold it till she finishes the sentence. Hold it till she... <laughs> nope. Can't do it. Um, this was has caused already overcrowded court dockets to be bombarded with filings from years past. Like, right. basically... Like, please, they were 14 and they gave them life. Right. Um, however, had Daniel been given a concurrent sentence, he would have already been eligible for parole, having served 30 years in 2017. So they kind of fought that he was right. given a life sentence when he was a minor, and he 
if he had been given concurrent sentences, he would have been eligible for parole. Right. Blah, 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 Not blah. only was it a life sentence, he also, it was three life sentences, and now he's worked living, what, like 90 years? Yes. But because his sentence had been consecutive, even his attorneys knew that it was a long shot. They tried anyway. Right. Um, the defense argued that he had been an abused child, but claimed he was now a model prisoner. Um, the prosecution obviously was like, hmm, he should never be released. Fucker killed two babies and raped mm-hmm. and murdered a pregnant lady. Um, the defense said that it was one act of violence with one crime, considering that all three murders occurred at the same time. It should not be considered three different acts of violence, as there was no proof that there was any cooling off period in between the murders. Okay, so I, that was the defense's argument for the appeal. Yeah. Disagree. Disagree strongly. Strongly disagree. As did the judge. Oh, good. With this argument, calling he called it three distinctive acts, saying that after committing one murder, that of Priscilla, he moved on and killed one child, and then moved on and killed the other. With this being said, he formally resentenced Daniel to the maximum possible, which was three consecutive life sentences with parole eligibility after 45 years. For real. From the date of conviction. Like, I don't know how they thought that would maybe work. I'm like, that just proves he's not like a serial killer killer. It means he's a mass murderer, which is not much better. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so... Yeah. I just... It, this went from like haunting to... That's haunting. What I did too. It went from like a creepy thing to like, oh damn, I'm fucking pissed. All right, so he will not be eligible for parole until the year 2032, when he will when he would be 62 years old. At the hearing in 2017, Daniel expressed remorse for his actions. He said, "I do not have the words to fully express my profound sorrow." But I am truly sorry for the harm I have caused. From the very essence of who I am, from the depth of my soul, I'm sorry. However, many people, including a psychiatrist... You said that so, like, enthusiastically. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Many people, including a psychiatrist that testified for the state, believe that he is remorseless and that he what he showed was probably not genuine and only an act for the courts. Oh, clearly. Um, Andrew Gustafson passed away in 2014. Um, so he was not around to hear that mm. he was basically in prison for life. However, upon his deathbed, he stated, don't ever let him out. He should rot in prison. Oh, my God. Can you, I didn't even think about that. Can you imagine being that guy? I, I, His whole family yeah. fucking torn away from him. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I just, like, And then having to that, deal with constant appeals from that motherfucker. Right? Like, oh, and you guys search without the proper details. and I just struggle with that because, yeah, you had a shit life, but a lot of people have a shit life. And don't go on and to don't fucking kill and rape, rape and murder babies. Ugh! Is that it? That was it. That, you're fucking leaving me on that? I'm done. Tell him, tell him to fucking... I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't know what to do with myself. I'm, like, sinking in, and so then my back is, like, fucking golem. Um, for real. I have a lot of feelings at the end of that. I just have a lot of, just a, I just have a lot of emotions. Like, I can't imagine. No. Like, that's what I'm saying. Okay, so that story, the reason why I told it, because when I heard it on My Favorite Murder, and then I, like, looked into it further, I was like, first of all, 
That's fucking terrifying that you were living in the walls of somebody's house. You like you forget about that because he raped and murdered somebody, but right. It starts off with him tormenting little girls over the death of their mother and living in their fucking walls and watching them get undressed and changed and shit. And I'm aware that they can't bring it in as like during the appeals and during the all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Because you know how they were like, it was one act of violence, whatever. I mean, he's proven that he has a history of doing fucked up shit. Right. It's, I'm sorry, what? Uh, I can't. I People are fucking crazy. I am way more, okay, I say paranormal freaks me out. I'm way more afraid of real human being than I am. I, yeah, they're way scarier. Yeah. I Like, I can't, ooh. I don't, like, the fucked up shit that people do to each other, I mean, we talk about it weekly, but I mean, like... Well, and that's exactly it. Like, I read about it so much, and I talk about it so much, that there's once in a while, like, right then when you said he died before he could see, you know, and he said before he had died that he should rot in prison or whatever. Mm -hmm. I... There's moments like that when you're just, like, all of a sudden you're thrown into the reality that somebody's pregnant wife and two babies Mm -hmm. got raped murdered and he walked in on the carnage of his wife right and just like got the fuck out of there and called 911 because he knew he couldn't handle seeing his two babies right and there was actually some like the defense brought up the fact that the police never looked into andrew like why didn't andrew look for his children and i'm like would you want to see your babies drowned in a bathtub or whatever carnage that you would have walked in on? Because I don't think I would have. Well, like, and if you go into something that it's as, like, gruesome as he's, they've said, mm-hmm. like, how do you think, oh, yeah, my babies are fine, though? Yeah. Like, you're yeah. not going to think, like, oh, I bet you they were sleeping and they didn't know they were even there. Mm-hmm. And run and find them. It's like, oh, okay. I can't. Speaking of which, though, not this is a total... Total appropriate. No. <laughs> I forgot to I was gonna tell you this in the beginning. You need to fucking watch on Hulu Prodigal Son. Prodigal Son? Yeah. It's so fucking good. It gives me nightmares. Ooh. It is a like it's like a true crime okay. show, like um like Criminal Minds kind of thing. Right. But the main guy is the son of a serial killer. And his father is like, didn't we see the little trailer for that? And yeah. We're like, I want to watch that. Yeah. No, it's so, it fucking gave, the first episode gave me nightmares because it like, it starts with him, his father, like, you could hear the sirens and his father going, you're my little boy, you're my son, you're just like me. And then his father is, they call him the surgeon and he was a serial killer and he killed like 38 women and he is now having, like, night terrors, and he works for the FBI, but he gets fired because in the first episode, he, like, does crazy shit because he, he thinks like a serial killer because his father trained him to think like a serial killer. Uh-huh. It's just very – it's like a psycho – Sounds like that book series that you're – Yeah, reading. but it's 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 a little – it's different, but it's similar. But it literally – I got I had nightmares the next night because it was so – it's like a psycho um, – yeah, Psychological like, thriller? Yeah. It's – it, like – and it's got a little humor in it. It's pretty funny. But it's also, like, I had serial killer nightmares about right. us. Like, the dream I had was literally you and me, like, driving on a dark road trying to get away from a killer. 
Word. and like our car like stopped and like I woke up with somebody's hand coming around and grabbing my throat. Like I had a your dream. Like a normal dream that you have after Like you know, normal dreams. <laughs> and then I've also started watching the show Dark or Obsession Dark Desires on Investigation Discovery yeah. on Hulu. Oofta poofta. I don't even know what that means. Oofta poofta? Oofta poofta. It's just something that rhymed with oofta. Alright, I need to get comfy. Are you let me let me go ahead and just Okay. Are you ready to tell me a story? I think I am. Are you going to make it snappy? Nope. Because last time it wasn't. <laughs> My stories are usually pretty snappy. No, they are. <laughs> um, but this one will not be. And I want to preface it with a, I was unaware how much. Isn't that what usually happens when you pick a story? You always, Out of nowhere, if it's something yeah. that I, like, wanted to do, usually it's, like, uh, not that big of a deal. Usually like you a pick big one guy like, and I know. this is interesting, and then 19,000 hours later. Falls. Like, for real? Yikes. Bikes. Originally. Trikes. I was going to tell you about, I mean, I chose this. Fall River cult killings is what I'm telling you about. I'm sorry. That sounds interesting. All right, and then um, Fall River Forest has a lot of creepy happenings and crypto stuff and all that fun stuff happening in it. So I was going to tell you the story, just the quick fucking cult killing story, and then go into the creepy forest. But uh, turns out there's a lot to these cult killings, so we're going to go ahead and tell you about the forest next time. But, okay. But I'm going to preface this with a, I realize that there's a difference between devil worship and satanic, like this Church of Satan. There's a difference, and it was everywhere that I was reading. They call themselves Satanists, so I'm calling them Satanists. If you don't like it, go fuck yourself. The end, because everything was like, they sound more like devil worshiping, blah, blah, blah. And I agree, they sound like devil worshipers, but... They call themselves Satanists, so I'm just sticking with that. Here, Here's the thing about us that you need to know. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck about your feelings. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just, I mean, like, I don't want to, like, purposely hurt your feelings, but... But you know what happens know. when you're offended? Fucking nothing. You're fine. You're fucking fine. You're fine. Okay, anyway. <sighs> so, I'm going to start the scene... What you doing? Just touching your computer. Remember this 15 pages long. <laughs> it just is really smooth and soft, so I just want to touch it. It's a computer. <laughs> Alright, so... Ready now? I've been fucking waiting on you, You've been princess. You're me off, bitch. Just because I can't say it doesn't mean I'm not going to say it. All right? All right. So I'm going to start with Detective Alan Silva. On October 13th of 1979, was called and told that there was a dead body discovered near a jogger's path behind a high school near the bleachers. Okay? That's what happens when you jog, man. Why did I know you were going to say that? You either find a body. Or you are a body. Or you become a body. (laughs) The victim was a teenage girl wearing a tattered blouse, lying face down in a pool of blood. Her body was bound with twine. 
and fishing wire. Oh, she was badly beaten and covered in blood, bruises, and abrasions. Don't like that. When they were able to get her to turn over and off of her stomach after they had done all of their initial investigations and taking pictures, they found that her entire face was collapsed in and her head was crushed to a pulp. I'm okay. We're just jumping right. I'm going to need you to, I'm going to need you to back that fucking train up. Oh, I will after a a paragraph. Her face (laughs) was bashed in. (laughs) <laughs> um, she had been stabbed in the head and bashed, like, stoned. Um, mm, I, mm, yeah. I don't know. Hey, hey, yeah. hey. I don't fucking like that. I know. Within the area, they found several bloody rocks, which they assumed mm-hmm. were what was used, which right? Which mushed her face. Yeah. But. You're going to give me nightmares. The way that it, she was bashed in and the way that she had abrasions, they figured she was, they were thrown at her over and over again. So she was stoned by multiple people. They stoned her? Yeah. Very old fucking world. So now, this is just the first crime scene. This is the kind of stuff we'll get into. Oh, good. I'm excited. Wind back and kind of give you a little background on some of the characters that are going to be in this story carl drew he was born in new hampshire wait pause are you going to tell us how they get involved yes i just give you i give you like the synopsis of each person and then the story with them in it okay sorry i just wanted to know what i was listening to continue i thought i just said that i was just a little confused so i wanted to make sure what i was being prepared for you're fine um so carl drew was born in New Hampshire in 1954 to a poor farmer. His father was an alcoholic and very abusive. He beat and subjected him to mental brutalities all the time. Um, For example, there once was a fire on their farm, and multiple animals had died, including a horse, in this fire. When Carl refused to dismember and toss the horse into the slaughter pit, which is literally a pit filled with the innards and remains mm-hmm. that you don't want from your animals. Um, his father lunged at him like as if he was going to beat him. Carl backed away quickly and fell right into the fucking pit of all of the grody animal parts that had partially decayed all just sitting there. Um, he also <laughs> managed... I just had a visual of a visual platform. <laughs> No, me on a visual platform doing what I just was doing where I was like, oh, I don't like that. When you recoiled. <laughs> just like curled up like, like trying to return to my shell. He also told a story about when his father was a um, trying to retrieve dead. There was like a family of dead rats at the bottom of a well. And his father tied a rope to his legs and put him down the well to go get the rats and pulled him back up. What kind of fucking animal farm bullshit is this? What I, kind of farm are they living on? I don't like this. Yeah. Um, dropping out of school in eighth grade, he left home, living on the streets. I fucking live on the streets, too! Uh, right? He was a bit of a vagabond for a while, going back and forth from different places, and he managed to find his way to Fall River, Massachusetts in the 70s. He was quickly known for his criminal activities, which, oh, good. which at the time were rampant in Fall River. So it was a big in- industry town, 
And then after um, the Second World War had come to an end and there was that big boom and then crash, a lot of the industries died. Um, okay. And so then that's when crime sets in. Crime starts happening. People are doing what they have to. This is this walking. This is, this crime is walking crime. in. This means crime. <laughs> crime is walking into town. Um, Jesus, Mary and <laughs> But. So there was, like, rampant drug activities. It was a place known for its, like, red light district. And people would come from other towns to actually come in and visit the sex workers there because it was so prevalent and easy to come by. Uh, Carl joined a biker game called the Signed Winders. Ah, I know. Bet you Gary was a part of that biker game. Oh, my God. Your car? Yeah. Gary? That's what the pinstriping is. It's for a biking club. The motorcycle club. Mm. Was it part of the Sidewinders? Which was affiliated with Hell's Angels. Yeah, definitely. Kia Soul. <laughs> he, he had the word hate tattooed on his knuckles. God, he's cool. Along with multiple satanic and Satan tattoos throughout his body. Um, then he became a pimp. <laughs> he was in and out of jail for different charges, ranging from assault to bottle, to robbery. All sorts of fun stuff. He sounds like a really cool guy. He was known to be cruel and unforgiving in the streets. In February... was he a gentleman in the sheets? Doubt it. (laughs) Later on, I'm going to go ahead and say, I really doubt it, because there's a story later. (laughs) I know. He's not a gentleman. I I have... Oh, God, I have a feeling I know what's going to happen, and I'm going to regret that joke later (laughs) on. But he was known as cruel, and in 1978, Carl, who was only 24 at the time, remember, he left his house at 15. Carl! Um, set up a meeting with a client and a sex worker. He had never met this client before. When they got there, he had uh, a bad vibe from him, so he stayed close to be sure to make, you know, make sure that... Can't act like he cares about his girls, but he also cares about his money, so... Mm-hmm. Um, so he dropped the girl off, stayed close. Minutes after he had left, he started hearing screaming. Uh-huh. So he kicked the door in and found the girl bleeding from her nose. And he was being, she was being held by the man by her hair um, and being drugged across the floor. So Carl tackled the man and dragged him into the hall, grabbed him by the collar, kneed him in the junk, and he fell backwards and down the stairs. Carl and the woman stepped over his unconscious body and walked out. Neighbors called 911 at that time, and Carl was caught not far from the building Mm because they heard the ruckus and called right away. So both Carl and the woman were taken into custody for prostitution and assault. She resisted and was handcuffed. Carl didn't fight at all, so he was taken without a fight. Um, When the woman was getting booked inside, Carl shook the dividing gate, like in the cop car, out of the middle of the car, pulled it down, and climbed out the passenger's door, and just snuck out into the night. Yep, right past the security officer, waved at him, acted like he was just normal, and the guy's like, oh, hey, whoever you are, bye. Um, Supposedly it was snowing really hard at that point in uh, New Hampshire. No. He was going to New Hampshire, but it was snowing really hard. Um, he stopped. It was the blizzard of 78. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that blizzard. Yeah, you know. It was rough. Oh, it was yeah. rough when you were negative fucking 11. Yeah, it was a rough fucking time <laughs> in Apparently, my life. Apparently, it dumped, like, 30 plus inches. I know. Inches, Don't tell know? me I know. Oh, do you? Mm-hmm. This is for their benefit, not yours then, Grandma. They're not here. I'm here. She's gonna go ahead and sh- <laughs> So everything was impassable, like roads were closed, no okay. one could get anywhere. So Carl abandoned the car he had stolen, stole a snowmobile from a house nearby, and drove that until it ran out of gas, and then stole another and drove that until it ran out of gas. It's like this fucking guy, you know? It's pretty pretty uh What's the, what's the fucking word? What's the word? Bird is Ingenuity? the word. Ingenuity? No, that's Ingen- not. No. What's the word I'm thinking of? I don't know, man. Okay, we'll continue. The police got, I don't know. <laughs> the police caught him before reaching Canada because he was going to try to cut through, go up to Canada, you know, fucking ditches, mm-hmm. issues. Um, And they captured him without a fight because what the fuck is he supposed to do at that point? That spring... The man who Carl had threw down the stairs died, making a murder charge possible to be an outcome. Okay. Because this man was a drug abuser, and because the injury and trauma to him that killed him could have possibly been induced by drugs, basically all charges had to be dropped and he was let free. Okay. So that's Carl. He began pimping again. In June of 79, a woman named Karen Marsden, here's the next character, Karen Marsden, who worked for him, came to a bar to meet Carl with a new friend. This woman was named Cookie. She had four children, and her car had been stolen, and Karen asked Carl to help retrieve it. A few days after, the biker game located the car. Game. Gang. It's like, wait, that didn't sound right. Uh, Located the car and returned it to Cookie, and she paid them $75, which is what she agreed to give them Mm -hmm. for finding it. And Carl decided that he wanted more and insisted that she work for him on the streets to make that money since she refused to give him more money. Cookie refused, and Carl threatened to kill her children if she didn't. Carl! Yeah, Carl's a bitch. Carl! Um, So... Remember Karen Marsden. Cookie's not a big deal. It was just kind of showing, like, the kind of relationship that Carl had with these mm-hmm. women. Okay. But Karen. Fucking Karen. She sounds like a real Karen. Karen. You're going to regret that, too. Oh, um, Robin- God damn it! <laughs> so Robin Murphy is the next big name. So Carl and Robin are two big ones. And Karen. And Karen. But not Cookie. But not Cookie. That was just, like, a extra Side person. story. Extra person. Extra in this extravaganza. Right. Robin was a teenager who came onto the street scene of Fall River and created some competition for Carl Drew. So it kind of seems like she was a bit more of a, like, self-employed sex worker. She didn't have a pimp, and she refused to have a pimp. Um, Get it, girl. Right? Uh, And she was actually, from everything I read, she was like, trying to become a madam so a lady oh lady bitch um she's a boss ass bitch 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 so this is in 78 she was born around 1962 so she was only like 15 16 Mm -hmm. um 
She lived with her mother and her stepfather, but she moved to the streets at a very young age. It is said that she was very smart, but cold, and a bit of a control freak, hence the wanting to do her own thing. Right. She was abused from a young age. Uh, Crafty. Unlearned. Crafty. That's the word I was thinking about when I, he was like... Stealing all those snowmobiles. Yeah, those good He's a crafty motherfucker. Sorry. I'm so glad you got there. It just came into my head all the time. <laughs> she was abused from a young age and learned street smarts pretty quickly. Um, when she was about 11, she ran away from home. I'm just going to say it that way. So about was, 11. She was 10. Yeah. Huh? About 11 means 10. Yeah. Um, it means they're not totally sure yeah. exactly when it was, but she God, ran away from young. home and was picked up by a man named Andy Maltese. Another big one. Maltese. Maltese. He was a pedophile. Uh, just general rapist Oh, as well. good. I love... No, he, I don't. I don't know where I was going with he, that. <laughs> he called himself a Satan worshiper at that time. He drove the girl out to the middle of the forest where they had sex. He raped her. Mm-hmm. Then they Then he drove her home. And following this... This was Robin? Yep. Okay. He picked Robin up. So Andy picked Robin up at her, when she was 11. Raped her in the woods. Raped her in the woods. Brought her home. And now... After that, he began picking her up after school on a regular basis and doing the same thing over and over again, giving her drugs, basically just fucking with her. I don't like that. Uh, Robin was convinced that if she told anybody that she would be the one who got in trouble. Mm -hmm. So, you know, normal pedophile behavior. After this abuse, Robin showed all the normal, like, sexual and relationship issues of somebody who had been abused. Uh, she just was in and out of relationships with both men and women, kind of was always on her own, wasn't faithful, wasn't, you know, while still being abused by Andy Maltese, this was all happening. The abuse became more violent and there was actual physical, like, beatings and being hit. Okay. After that. Okay. Go back down here. Robin was most likely introduced to Satanism by Andy. So I looked up Satanism in the dictionary oh. because I was like, what exactly do they say it is? They All they said was the worship of Satan, typically involving travesties of the Christian symbols and practices, such as placing a cross upside down. That's what it says. Uh, Did you happen to look up what devil worshiping was? Uh, devil, so... Satanism is technically. We don't have to get into it. I just wanted yeah. to know if you looked at so, it. So devil worshiping is basically what that says. And Satanism technically is more hailing yourself. You know, like on the last podcast, they mm-hmm. say hail yourself. Basically, it's putting not putting your needs first, but not constantly concerning yourself with what everybody else is expecting and needing like the social cues of things um it's just a different idea of how to live your life more than anything but side note the moment that i was reading an old testament passage about satan's um children wanting to follow their father and kill jesus a huge black bird raven (laughs) fucking flew up 
next to my car because that's where I do my research. And it scared the living shit out of me because I got in this, like, dark place. And I'm like, no, 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 he's giving me the front. And I was like, what the? And then it flew away, like, just like, get the fuck out of here, bird. Like, why, why now? Why now? Um, Okay. A murder Back of in. crows. Huh? A murder of crows. <laughs> Listen to you. Robin got deep. You're very aggressive. Robin got deeply involved in Satanism as soon as she was introduced to the concept. She, When she was younger, she was very into magical rituals and demonology. Robin was known as a tough kid at school. I'm wondering if she was like a goth kid. And so all the kids were like, oh, scary. Stay away because it was the 80s. Like you guys circa 2010. Yeah, but that was Hashtag. 2010. It was normal. Hashtag email. Hashtag stupid not 2010 i'm sorry we graduated in 2007 it would have been 10th grade it would have been like 2006 yeah ish it was five like 2005 because mine was like eighth grade to like 10th grade yeah 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 anyway <laughs> anyway uh she was a liar she was known to be a liar she would manipulate people uh and she had a hard time keeping on top of her stories I'm trying to, like, speed this up, but also I don't want to miss anything no, important. Uh, it's only 9 o'clock. I'm just kidding. It's fine. <laughs> and the rest will be told on another time because I'm wasting Nielsen's time. I'm kidding. I'm actually really interested in this, so keep fucking um, going. Okay, thanks. Bye. I lost my spot. Sorry. Oh, no. Because I looked up, and then it's, like, this big, long paragraph. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> I don't know where the fuck I am. Oh, shit, I'm twitching. Uh, so she was a liar, including. Okay, so her mother wanted to have her see a psychologist, so she sent her to one because she kept acting really off, and this was before mm-hmm. she left the house. He believed that she was false, falsely answering her questions to avoid being diagnosed. And later it was said that she was, like, a textbook antisocial personality disorder. Okay. So she just really didn't like people. Yeah. She would much rather be by herself in charge of what she does, doesn't give a shit if it bothers you, that sort of thing. She dropped out and became a sex worker. She was one of the only sex workers who didn't work for Carl Drew in that area. Okay. So it was kind of a big deal. They did not like each other at first and became when they became aware of each other. Near, 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 near. Damn pages. There's such a big gap between them. By 1978, she had left her home for good and was living in a housing project in Harbor Terrace. She was intimate with another woman named Sunny Sparta, who was another name to kind of keep in mind. She was, Sunny was also a Satanist and she had dark art all over her room and all over her house. And her living room had a big painting of Satan in it. Um, this, it's part of later on, but I didn't write it in here. And she was actually like a mother hen to the other sex workers because she had been around for a long time. So she took them like under her wing and kind of helped them with like learn the ropes. So after Robin lived with this woman, um, she met Karen Marsden. Okay. There she is. Karen. 
she was the same woman who had the front blah 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 that was me recapping in case we forgot it turned out that karen was frightened of robin karen was addicted to heroin but would still be sure to check in with her grandmother who she lived with so she wouldn't worry mostly because karen had a son and her grandmother took care of her son for the most part so Mm -hmm. she was always in constant contact with them to make sure that everything was good to go so which is weird for a drug addict but she did her best so back to robin and carl's dislike for each other they were in a power struggle between in a power struggle but they also worshiped in the same satanic coven okay they said the cult was known was known of and whispered about it was like one of those stupid rumors in a small town you know but no one really knew if it was an actual thing the cult was they think it was established in 79 and it mostly consisted of sex workers drug addicts and pimps about like 15 to 25 people were involved okay when it was warm out the satanic cult would meet out in the woods and sacrifice animals such as goats and cats on a stone altar and spoke in tongues and when it was cold they would meet at sunny's house and conjure try to conjure the power of satan by chanting and praying to him don't like Uh, that right according to sunny there were times that they that their chanting worked saying sometimes we would get satan right in the room with us but then other things said that they would say they would feel satan in the room you know it was all that like everything was a little bit different everywhere mm-hmm. i read so I i'm just feel satan. right like i'm trying to tell the best i can mm-hmm. but we'll see um when they would do their animal sacrifices in the forest they'd kill the animal drain its blood and then pour the blood on a chosen person's head Ew. this person would be bound when it was happening sometimes they would use it to christen a special person and move them forward into the cult and other times it was more of a punishment for someone who was going against their church okay sunny said that they believed that physical pleasures such as sex and drugs were satan's gift to them and they were taught by satan to live their lives only worrying about or if you lived your life only worrying about the afterlife and it may or may not be real you're not living your full life basically so for the most part the cult was just part of the rumor mill there was always a buzz about them but there had no they had never done anything specifically wrong so the police couldn't do anything um but that made the cult grow and grow and do more crazier mm-hmm. things than they had been on october 12th of 1979 the girl found on the track was identified. Okay. Her name was Doreen Levesque. She was a sex worker who had fallen into drugs. She worked for Carl Drew. Okay. Because um, of the violence displayed at this scene, it was believed that it was a personal vendetta more than just a random killing or a deal gone wrong if it was a sex worker thing with her work. There was overkill overkill stabbing in the head bludgeoning beating it pretty much anything you could think of And her blood wasn't drained though no it wasn't like the animals that they would drain um adjust my lady 
Did I bring my water down here? I don't think I brought it in. Oh. Again, it pointed to there being more than one person involved. Uh, the rocks had been displayed specific way pointing towards a ritualistic murder, which is why they assumed it was because it was mm-hmm. also made into the sh- a correct shape, along with evidence showing that they're most likely they've most likely stoned her to kill her. Police had no obvious initial suspects, but knowing that it was a ritualistic of its ritualistic nature, the fact that the victim was a sex worker, they zeroed in on the Harbor Terrace housing project area, since it was known for all of that. The group at Harbor, Harbor, I keep saying Harbor, Harbor Mm -hmm. Terrace were known for animal and human sacrifices and would regularly use Satan as threats of otherworldly retribution. So, (laughs) you said other. Other, I know. Whenever I okay, so when I read it and when I wrote it, I totally thought of it that way too. I was like, otherworldly retribution, (laughs) with my chin out. Otherworldly retribution. Oh, I gotta adjust myself. Sorry, lay. Put my water down. My girl's so dry. Oh man. Okay. You got your lemonade. Oh, yeah, it's gone, man. It's fucking gone. It's recording, right? Mm-hmm. That would be a nightmare. Correct. Okay. <laughs> All of a sudden, I was like, what? What page are you on? Six! You are only 20 minutes I'm in. I'm making good time. You're making good time. Oh, good. Lloyd Wheaton, a state trooper, received a call from Andy Maltese during the investigation of this murder. Wheaton that's thought, the pedophile, right? Yep, that's okay. the one that was abusing Robin. Robin. Okay, got it. An early age. Wheaton thought that Andy may have been high when he called, and Andy told Wheaton that he knew about the murders and wanted to contact the investigator that was leading the murders. Okay. Both Andy and his girlfriend, Barbara, who is another name, Mm -hmm. uh, were involved in a satanic cult that was in the sex trade. So Wheaton was specific. So Wheaton was skeptical, but he got him in contact with the investigator whose last name was Silva. It's later on in here, but I can't remember his first name right now off the top of my head. It was tough to get a hold of Andy Maltese after the first contact, but they did. And when they did, he tended to talk more about anything else but the murder. He was like, oh, and this and this and this and this. And it's like, "Uh, we were going to get some details, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, But he claimed to be a born-again Christian at this time and no longer worshipped Satan. And he claimed that Robin and Karen knew more details about the murder. And that was all that he knew. So he basically just pointed to talk to them about Doreen's murder. So Andy set up a time to talk to the police with the women and drove Karen and Robin to the interrogation under the guise of wanting their help with a different case. Okay. And when they were asked about the murder, they were surprised, but Robin said that, Robin like blurted out that Carl Drew had done it. Oh, oh, snitches get, snitches end up in ditches, motherfucker. Right. Karen then shut down and continually called Carl the devil. Like, was just like, he's the devil. He's actually Satan. He's like, like, Carl. Robin, on the other hand, said that 
She didn't know anything about the murder, didn't know anything about what Karen was talking about. In fact, she barely said anything. That was pretty much all she said the entire time she was being interrogated. Fair enough. Right? She's like, I don't know. The end. There was no proof or clues linking Carl to the murder other than being her pimp. And there was no physical evidence whatsoever. Karen may have stopped talking, but Carl Drew continued telling. Hold on. Sorry, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Not Carl Drew. I just wrote the wrong name. Andy. So we'll start. Karen stopped talking, but Andy continued to tell the investigators different things and calling them on a regular basis. And during this time, Andy thought in his delusional state that he was working for the police. He was also beginning to talk. Fucking Detective Andy. Right? He also began talking about his concerns for his ex-girlfriend, Barbara, who he claimed he had not seen in a long time. Oh, no. Barbara's dead, huh? (laughs) She did. On Saturday, January 26th, 1980, a hunter took his dogs out to train in a field on the edge of town. That is where the dogs found a dead body in the tall grass. Barbara! Barbara. Babe. Hey. It's some pie there, Bob. <laughs> some pie there, Bob. Barb. Barb. The old, or the dead woman. The old woman. The old woman. The old woman. The old dead woman. The dead woman was nude from the waist down. Oh. A.K.A. Winnie the Pooh in it. That's, I put it on there. Just straight up Winnie the Pooh in it. <laughs> Uh, and her hands were bound with fish line, just like the other one. Uh, she was. I just think I got a cut into the skin. Hey, hey ouch! She was badly like decomposed, and her head and face were also crushed to a pulp. Oh, good! It's my favorite uh, kind of stoning. I don't fucking know. That's all you got. That's all I got. <laughs> Cinder blocks were with <gasps> blood on them. <gasps> were left nearby. They mushed her with cinderbox. And there were flecks of cement oh, found in her hair. I don't fucking like that. The police arrived in no time, and the medical <gasps> examiner determined that she was sexually assaulted before her murder. Well, I would assume so, since she was Winnie the Pooh in it, but, it, oh. It was also found, or it was found that this was Barbara Raposa, Andy's ex-girlfriend. Called it. Barb. I I don't know what that song was, but it's a song. (laughs) He was called in for questioning after the discovery. With everything I have read and heard, he came dressed pretty much like a cowboy, (laughs) carrying a Bible with a giant belt buckle that said Texas on it. The fuck? Andy's just living in his own goddamn world. They... This town's not big enough for to calm down, Sheriff Woody. <laughs> right. Everything There's a snake like, in my boots. <laughs> everything was talking about how he was clearly delusional and clearly had mental issues and, you know, whether it be from, like, excessive drug use or what, but he was, like, in his own world. Sheriff fucking Woody's on the case. Don't Which, worry. you know, makes for a really good witness if you need it. Nope. 
Jesus Christ. All right. Handy told Sylvia, which is the investigator, but apparently I didn't write his first name here either, that he is was it working. Silva or Sylvia? It's Sylvia. It's not okay. Silva. You said Silva before, so I just want to make sure. Oh, no, Sylvia. Okay. Um, Andy told Sylvia, it must have been a typo before, that he was working undercover for the state police <laughs> because he talked to them once. Which wasn't true, clearly, but he thought he was being more than just an informant. Sylvia thought that Andy may have been responsible for Barbara's death, but the state police, who had been in contact with Andy, disagreed, basically said, he's eccentric, but I don't think he, like, bludgeoned, He's legit been looking for her. Right. Uh, Fitzgerald from the state police brought in Dave Cowan, who is Barbara's new boyfriend and was currently her boyfriend at the time of the disappearance, uh, along with being the last person to see her alive. From what he said, the last night that he saw her, they had went to dinner and then she went to work, a.k.a. the streets. She Uh, went to be a freak in the streets. Freak in the streets. The two murders were different in the sense that they, that one was a stoning with stones, the other one was a bludgeoning with a cinder block. Oh, I don't like that. But they were similar in, they were both sex workers, they both had been bound by the same thing, and they were both bludgeoned outdoors in what seemed like a rage. Yeah. Carl Drew was implicated in Karen, or implicated by Karen, but the only person that was connected to both people clearly was Andy Maltese. On February 5th, 1980, 10 days after Barbara was found, Andy told Fitzgerald he knew everything because of a dream, a psychic vision, if you will. So Andy's fallen off his rocker. In his dream, he was floating above the field where she was murdered. A large American... He said, a big man. A hefty. A hefty, hefty fellow. A hefty American. He's a large American. In a large jacket, large leather jacket, was beating Barbara with a heavy rock. She fell to the ground, and the man was squatting over her head and smashing it. <gasps> when Andy was shown a map of the field, he was able to put an X right where her body was found. He said he didn't know who this man was, but Barbara was yelling out to him like she could see him in the dream. And asking him to help. He said he heard the killer say that Andy couldn't help her anymore. The next time that he was talked to about this dream, he said that he realized that the rock was actually a piece of concrete. So it was the cinder block, I guess. So he's like giving them all of the crime scene information. But this is, that one was the biggest detail that wasn't given out to the public. So the fact that he knows that either he's involved or he knows what happened by from somebody. Mm-hmm. February 7th of 1980, Andy was arrested for the murder of Barbara. Authorities hope to also link him to Doreen Le- Levesque's murder, too. Uh, the afternoon, that afternoon, Alan, Sylvia, Alan, um, was called by Karen Marsden. He had met her while interviewing the people in Harbor Terrace. Karen was showing 
a growing fear for Robin Murphy and Carl fear Drew. of them? Yeah. Okay. What did I say? For them. So I was just thinking, I was just trying to make sure I knew what you were talking about. Uh, along with being one of, one who said that Carl was, sorry, I oh, lost okay. my. So she was saying that she was afraid of them. Right. Okay. She was afraid of Robin and Carl. And months ago, Robin had taken Karen and another woman to a place in the woods hmm. where she saw pentagrams and other symbols that were carved all- along the trees. She said that this is where they would do their rituals when they did outside. Right. Most of the, mostly animals, and according to her, on full moons, they would sacrifice humans. <gasps> They would get high, have sex, get together, and they would kill their sacrifice, usually a sex worker who had crossed them. It seemed that Robin knew more about the murders than she was telling the investigators, so Sylvia continued on with Karen in an attempt to get a little more information. Okay. But nothing had changed with Karen. She continued to talk about how afraid she was for her and her family. Her son was just a small kid at the time and she wouldn't want anything to happen to them right after the interview sylvia dropped karen off at a local catholic church near the red light district in town and that was last time he saw her oh no the next day on february 9th robin murphy called the police department she said she wanted to talk to the investigators to the investigators they went to meet her at harbor terrace They went to Sunny Sparta's apartment. When they got there, Robin was clearly drunk and high, sitting sitting underneath the portrait portrait of Satan. They said that she seemed tense and upset, which was totally different than the way that she was acting before when she was. Feel like everybody in the story has been drunk and high the whole time, right? I mean, I feel like (laughs) feel like that's just like a good assumption. Uh, Almost instantly, she blurted out that she was there when Andy killed Barbara. So... Mm -hmm. A likely story. Right. Because Barbara was seeing her new boyfriend. That's why Andy killed her, apparently. Okay. So the story that Robin tells goes like this. Andy called... Or she called Andy one night on the night of November 7th to pick her up and give her a ride to her mother's house. When he did pick her up, he told her that Barbara also just called and needed a ride as well. Uh, They went to go get Barbara, and when they got there, I'm sorry. Beep, boop, 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 boop. On the ride to go get Barbara, Andy told Robin that he was going to kill Barbara for dating someone else. Robin didn't take him seriously, thinking maybe he was just speaking out of anger or blowing off steam or something. But then when they got to Barbara's house, Robin moved to the backseat and Andy lit a joint and they passed it around the, the car. Puffed and passed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barbara seemed bothered that Robin was there. Must not have liked her. Um, didn't like her, huh? <laughs> so... Robin and Barbara began to argue about Barbara's attitude towards her. Oh, and God. the argument, because, you know, Robin doesn't take shit from no one. Right. 
um, and the argument became violent and punches were thrown over the seats. Somehow Barbara ended up in the back seat and they fired and the fighting continued. At that point, Andy pulled the car behind a building and came out, opened the back door and told Barbara to get out, like get the fuck out, right? Get the Fugatti. Robin then says that Barbara got out and took off her pants getting ready for sex. I'm sorry. What? Laid down on a coat in the grass. Again, getting ready for sex. I don't understand. Andy went to the trunk to get his sex toys because apparently they don't even need to talk. They were just like, wait, get out. Get out. We're banging. Winnie the Pooh, we're about to bang? That's not, (laughs) this makes no sense. And while all this was happening, Robin says that she just sat in the car and listened to the radio. (laughs) Don't mind me, guys. I was just trying to visit my mom, but I'll just wait here while you fuck behind a building. It's fine. (laughs) Shortly after they had sex, Robin heard them begin to argue. Then she saw Andy lift what she thought was a rock and begin beating Barbara with it. It's like, this is nice. That's not true at all. After that, Andy got back into the car and just simply drove Robin home. This is what she says happened. That didn't happen. Robin waited to tell the investigators because she was afraid of Andy, and since he was now in custody, she felt like she was safe to say it. But she was still concerned that Andy would be able to put a hit out on her from prison. So the police offered her protective custody since she was going to be, like, the main, like... The police believe this story? Yeah. The main person. The fuck? Okay. I don't know. Nielsen, I don't fucking know. Nothing about that story makes sense. Um, Whatsoever. But since she was the main witness, they offered to put her into custody so that she would continue being their witness right okay so they put her up in a hotel and they check on her multiple times a day to make sure she was good she was still there all that fun stuff the day that robin came forward to the police they also received a call from an older woman stating that her granddaughter was missing was it karen's grandmother call their granddaughter's name was Karen Marsden. And I wrote, dun, dun, dun! Karen! Karen! Because remember, she checks in with Grandma all the time. And Karen! She just Carl Drew was brought in and allowed to, and he allowed them to take photographs of him, and they questioned him while he was there. Carl told Detective Sylvia that he had last seen Karen A couple hours after she had been dropped off at the Catholic Church, he said that he saw a car full of women drive past. It included Robin, another woman named Carol. We haven't met her. She's different. And Karen. They spent a lot of time after interviewing and re-interviewing people at Harbor. Harbor. Having a real hard time with that word. It's the B. I don't know what it is. I like it. I can't say bees. Rubber mouth when I try to say it. Harbor Terrace, including Sunny Sparta. Um, and this is how they found themselves attending a satanic ritual at Sunny's apartment. Okay. Mm-hmm. On February 16th, 1980, Detective Alan Sylvia was investigating at her apartment and witnessed a service with his partner. Two people that were present were Carl Drew and Robin Murphy. So were they, like, hiding in the walls or what? How did they witness it? They came to the house and 
they basically were like, these are like our church services. It's oh, not like, like we they, blah, blah, blah. Okay. They let them watch it to see that it wasn't anything oh, nefarious. Got it. I mean, it was free. They said it was scary, but I mean, nothing happened other than. Right. Like normal, not normal, but mm-hmm. nothing violent. Right. So two people that were present were Carl and Robin. She was in police protective custody, but she was welcome to come and go as she pleased because it was not like they were forcing her into protective custody. She had asked for it. The group made a circle. One person sat in the center. They chanted, Hail Satan! Hail Satan! At this moment, all I could imagine was Henry Zabrowski (laughs) saying, Hail Satan! (laughs) I fucking love him. Um, then one man began to speak in my spirit animal. languages that the detectives had never heard before, a.k.a. speaking in tongues. When the detectives turned around to look at what the man looked like that was saying it, they were horrified to see 17-year-old Robin Murphy making this guttural man sound and speaking in a language they didn't understand. I don't like that. He was standing over another sex worker who was laying in a bed cowering in fear. Robin growled, Satan will have his toll at the end of it. And Sylvia tried. I don't like that at all. Tried to just think that maybe she was changing her voice. She had practiced, but they said it legit sounded like a guttural, manly, gravel voice. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. Stop it. Nope. 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 All the nopes. I'm going to nope the fuck out right now. After witnessing this spectacle... Um, the police took a deeper dive into the characters at Harbor Terrace. One specific person they talked to more was Carol Fletcher, which was supposedly this other woman in the car. Right. She worked with Carl, with Carl and had been in the car. Oh God. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Cause I say it and then I already wrote it. So why did I write it? If I was just going to say it anyway, but on the other hand, Sunny Sparta, and others implicated Robin in the murder of Karen. Okay. Stating that she had admitted to it to them. Uh, knew it. Uh-huh. You mean, wait, are you telling me that they didn't fuck behind a building? Just randomly? I, you know, yeah, yes, Nat. That story is so stupid, I can't believe the police were like, oh, that's a good story, let me give you police protection. Um, <laughs> uh, it kind of, I mean, we'll get there. Uh, another also said that Robin said that she had been present at Doreen's killing as well. So mm-hmm. fucking Robin is just Robin's like... just fucking all over it. Okay. Now Robin is connected to both of... Both murders, because remember... No, because Karen hasn't been found yet. She just right. was reported missing. So... But she's connected to Doreen and... Doreen and... Barb's. Yep. Barb's murders. Okay. So... I was like, wait, no, because Karen hasn't been... That's a whole Spoiler alert. <laughs> huh? Spoiler alert. They find Karen. Well, I feel like everybody's aware at this point. I know. <laughs> they, moved to Rob- they moved Robin to Dallas, Texas, trying to keep her safe. And actually, they were trying to keep her from tampering with witnesses. So mm-hmm. the fact that she's in police protective custody now is working for them. Yeah, they can move because her. Because they're in. like, oh, we're going to put you here just to keep you safe. And yeah. now they can investigate Karen's stuff without somebody strong-arming anybody into saying certain right. things. On April 13th of 1980, the top of a human skull was discovered in a rural 
area in Massachusetts. Oh, uh, just the top? Yep, just the, the tip like, top. Not the tip top, like, no jaw, and it was just the top part. Oh, uh, I don't like that. But, I mean, it wasn't, like, fully together. Anyway, they were there were also clumps of clothing and human hair that had the scalp still attached to them discovered around the skull. Ugh. Um, just imagine, like, goopy, like, oh. you just pick up a strand of hair, and it's just like a joke. <laughs> um, there were multiple cat carcasses that were dead, disemboweled, lined up around the body as well. Their internal organs were spread among the stones that strategically placed in a triangle. It was a whole fucking thing. What the fuck? Uh, the skull was missing its jaw and was partially still covered in skin. Kind of like that. Hairs from Karen's hairbrush matched those from the crime scene. The clumps of scalp they mm-hmm. found? Okay. And eventually an x-ray taken of the skull was able to be facially structured, matched to Karen. So we found Karen! It was just the top of her head, but it's fine, just, I guess. Just, well, her skull and, like, clumps of body and shit yeah um while the crime scene was being investigated robin was in dallas made a phone call to sunny sparta who was in cahoots with the police at this point and they were at her apartment when she called oh shit they fucking son monitored and recorded her phone call oh tell me more tell me more confessed to killing karen over the phone Robin was confronted with this evidence, and she just decided to make a deal. She's like, I'll fucking tell you everything, I she guess. squealed oh, with like a little, little stool pig in that she was. <laughs> so, here's her stories for all of the different murders. Okay, I'm dying to hear. Tell me more. She told them that when Doreen was killed... She was with Carl Drew and another man named Willie Smith, who we haven't heard anything about, but all of a sudden... Willie! Willie's like, I almost got away with everything. (laughs) Um, They found Doreen on a corner, picked her up. When they picked her up, Carl tried to get her to let him be her pimp. But she was, like Robin, self-employed. She said that she preferred to work alone, and Carl threatened her promising that Satan would get her if he couldn't or whatever. Yeah, basically, check it to the dome. Squeeze it to the dome. Bump, bump, bump. Um, he reached back and he hit her in the face. Jesus. She began to cry, and at that point, Carl said, you need to come work for me. She still refused, and Carl threw was thrown over the edge. Carl then drove to the high school where she was found, pulled up, up to the rear of the bleachers where there were no lights. That's gross. <laughs> I look up and your fucking strings up your nose. Oh, God. The men then took Doreen out of the car, carried her out of sight, and Robin claims that she remained in the car because she's always just in the she fucking car. She's always just fucking sitting in the car just, like, fucking listening to Bob Dylan. I don't <laughs> Go on! <laughs> said they were only gone for like 10 minutes oh yeah and then they returned carrying her shoes which is part of satanic offering in order to get 
the power from that soul that you offered, you're supposed to take something that belongs to them, showing that you are the one that's attached to it. So apparently that's what they're saying they did. They took her shoes. They took her shoes, offered her to Satan, and I guess this is what they get. Fucking, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Satan things. I don't know. I don't know that that's a thing that I know. After telling about Doreen, Robin began to tell about Karen Marsden's murder. So I think she stuck with her story when it came to Barbara. So, mm. the night that Karen disappeared, Robin and Karen yeah, had gone to visit car. Karen's son, huh? Yeah, she's, she's just, always fucking sitting in the car. Fucking jamming out in the car, man. Not for this one. Oh, <laughs> spoiler. So, Karen and Robin went to visit Karen's son the day that she disappeared. Uh, then they went to look for Karen's boyfriend slash pimp, because he was a small-time pimp, that, oh, okay. that feller. Uh, when they found him, he was with Carl Drew. The man got into the car, or the men got into the car, and they drove following the direction of Karen's boyfriend. So Karen's boyfriend's like, go fucking north or whatever, and they just follow whatever he said. Once they pulled over in a, on a rural, rural road, Carl Drew told Karen to, that her time was up, that she had talked to the police, though he had told her not to. Karen told Carl that she wasn't afraid of him because it's like, I'm going to fucking die anyway at this point. Like, I know. Tell me, bitch. Right? And that God would save her. You can imagine how Carl responded to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he freaked the fuck out. Obviously. Robin dragged Karen out of the car. She claimed that everything she did was because Carl told her to do. Mm. She then hit her several times and grabbed a hold of her net, taking her to a small clearing in the woods. Everyone was to take a rock and throw it at Karen. So they stoned her as well. Robin states that then she held Karen by the neck. Oh, wow, Carl. I was like, that doesn't make sense. While Carl was cutting off one of Karen's hands. Well, she was alive still? Yeah. Oh, God. Robin says that Karen was still conscious, just barely, and Carl told Robin to perform sex acts on Karen. She complied. Then Robin claims that Carl told her to cut Karen's throat, and Robin complied. Oh, God. Then Carl decapitated Karen. Carl told Robin to pull off the hair of the skull after she had done this, they kicked it around like a soccer ball. <gasps> Carl then knelt down next to Karen's body and carved an X into her torso, all the way from shoulder to hip. At that same time, he chanted in a guttural voice, offering her soul to Satan. He then got blood from Karen's body and made an X on Robin's head, saying that she was now one of them. Ew, I thought Carl and Robin didn't get along, and now they're fucking fucking playing soccer. Fucking, fucking playing? <laughs> Just playing soccer in the woods with a human head. That escalated yep. quickly. Uh, after this, the group drove away. Um, Carol dropped off Robin at Harbor Terrace, where she ate dinner at Sonny's house and went to bed. So Sonny wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was of these like nefarious people that we've talked about. Once she finished Ugh. telling her... See, because I think... Sonny was more of a true Satanist, mm-hmm. which is more just like 
don't live your life like you're living for an afterlife. Live it like you're living for the now. Right. Um, so it, she wasn't into all that violent stuff. Once she finished telling her story, Robin proceeded to make a deal with the prosecutors. Carl Drew was arrested, and other witnesses came forward without fear of Carl Drew at that point, so they had more mm-hmm. on him. Um, Andy Maltese was the very first person to be put on trial in January of 81. He was quickly convicted after only a couple days of be, of the murder of Barbara Raposa and was sentenced to life. The next person to go on trial was Carl Drew on March 1st for the murder of Karen Marsden. Mm-hmm. He also received a life sentence, sentence, and Carl, to this day, says that he has never been a Satanist. And at the trial, stated he had never been a Satanist. Doesn't even know what that. I don't even know what. What's a Satanist? What does that even mean? I don't even fucking know what that means. Uh, And then two years later, Willie Smith, who came out of fucking nowhere, went on trial, and he was one. He's the one who helped with Doreen's murder. The day before his trial in 1983, the story that Robin told. She just decided it it wasn't true, that she made it all up, and it, that she wasn't President Doreen's murder, and that Karen Marsden was, and she was just telling, like, what Karen had told her, and, you know, someone who can't actually say that it that's not true. I just can't with this bitch. And without Robin's testimony, Willie Smith was released on a lack of evidence because they had nothing else to cover, like, nothing else saying he was there. Right. After 1980, there was no longer a satanic cult in Fall River, or at least it seems that way. It kind of fell off the rails when... Well, yeah, because these fucking crazies ruined it for everybody. Right? No, nobody can have fun. No, nobody can sacrifice cats in the woods without getting (laughs) judged. Robin... Jesus Christ, I feel like you shouldn't be doing that anyway. (laughs) Right? Robin now says that she made everything up. Carl maintains that... The story maintains that he's never been a Satanist. And in 2004, Robin went uh, to a parole board and said that Karen said she had witnessed Carl kill people. So Robin never actually witnessed anything, but this is just kind of like, ooh, whoopsie-daisy. I Mm -hmm. thought I'd throw it out there. Um, Carl remains in prison. He hasn't been paroled Did Robin get put in prison? I think... See, it didn't say anything specifically, and I think she did because she had to be paroled. But it didn't say what she got convicted of, and I'm wondering if it was like in cahoots. Yeah, Yeah. she must have cut it conspiracy. That's what I'm guessing. Um, Robin was granted parole in 2004, but ended up back in prison in 2011 for violating the terms and conditions of of her parole because she was in contact and dating a a uh, a criminal. and recently, she was declined parole again, so she's still in prison. Andy Maltese died in prison in 1987 after having multiple strokes, so he didn't, he was only in prison for like yeah. five years. Um, Alan Sylvia, the detective of the case, retired from law enforcement, became a political figure. He has now been a member of the Massachusetts House of Representatives for seven years. Sylvia shoots down the claims that the cult would never existed, considering he had witnessed an entire service. And this 
is basically one of the main kickoffs of the satanic panic of the 1980s because it's like the late 70s, 80s, early 90s. So it ramps up from here where people are fucking crazy and saying kids are getting flushed down toilets to go to satanic rituals. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) But yeah, and that is... That was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's It's wild. It's fucking weird. I don't like any of that. I'm unhappy with everything you just told but me. But then we get to talk about the spooky forest next week. And, oh, and good. And this happened there. And the other fun stuff that's happened around there because there's other things that, and people that did stuff around there too. Don't like that. Don't like that. So yeah, that's it. A lot of, a lot of stuff. It was just hard to like cut down certain things. So no. like, then you're not going to know the background of this person and how they're matched with this person. There was a lot of people in that. No, that was good. You did. Hey, you done good, kid. Thanks. I feel like that was weird. My brain's tied in knots was... a little bit. Well, yeah, it's a good story. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You have funny things. No, or... I don't. I got other than the guy that wants you to mount him. Who asked me to mount him? <laughs> Just straight up, first opening line: "Come mount me." I'm like, I. No. Hey, I wish I could again visual platform. I wish you could show the gif you got. Oh God, that was so good. <laughs> I've decided that my new opening line is to just to gif people, and if you can't hang hang <laughs> with my gif action, then you can go ahead and fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself, dude. I got chills <laughs> multiplying. <laughs> I've got nothing funny for you guys. Sometimes it's just really hard to be funny all the time. It's hard. You're so fucking dramatic. God, I might be. (laughs) Nah, dude, I just don't. I gotta start, like, paying attention to my kids' stories. I... There's some good ones. I'm fucking... I got... Chills. <laughs> what is happening right Man, now? Having <laughs> I might be. Um, I don't fucking. I got nothing. I'm just this is fucking the lamest ending ever. I'm so sorry, you guys. Okay, I'm it's just fucking October, dude. It's, just, I'm so. I could. What can I tell them? How can I end this? I was like, just soak in the creepy uncomfortableness of this episode. What, I know, the stories, both of these stories are such downers, though. <laughs> what can we, what spooky story can I tell them? Do you want me to tell, oh no, that's not going to make anything better. I was like, do you want me to tell them one of my dreams? No, your dreams are terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely fucking not. Your <laughs> dreams give me nightmares, so no. <laughs> no, you may not. I don't want, they, you don't, they don't need to be in the spooky mind of Amanda. Jesus, we don't want to make people stop listening to us. <laughs> fucking horrific <laughs> dreams. This bitch has the craziest fucking mind ever. I don't like it. We'll keep those for when we're doing our for fuck's sake and being spooky. Since we have, like, seven listeners, maybe. I have seven (laughs) listeners. Maybe one of them can tell me if they've experienced my weird road people that I found. Yeah. Should I tell them about that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So spooky thing. This has happened to me, I think, seven times now. They're, like, where I'm driving down a dark road, either, like, early in the morning or late at night, because it's dark, because the sun's down. Because <laughs> the sun's not out. The sun's not out. Oh, my God. And 
I there's like somebody fucking so the first time it happened I called Amanda immediately because that's mm-hmm. what I do and I'm driving I think I was driving from Rochester and it was like, like I think what? we had gone out at night and um it was probably like two or three in the morning so we were driving home I was driving home after bar and um I was going down like the highway and I was like what the f-? I could see with my brights that there was something moving in the road but I was like the fuck is that? So I slow down and I'm driving and I'm driving and I'm slowing down, slowing down because I can't see because there's no lights on this thing. And I'm like, is that an ant? Is there like a fucking cow? What is that? Right. It's just a human being fucking standing in the road, not walking, not fucking moving, just standing in the middle of the highway. I wasn't going to fucking stop because... That's how people end up dead. So I just kept going, and I called Amanda. horror movie. And I was like, this is fucking horror movie. This is so scary. I don't fucking like it. And then that happened to me again on a different road at a different time. But this person was walking. But, like, I made eye contact with them as I drove by them. And I'm like, why are you in the middle of the road without any, like, reflecting stuff on? like the same person? No, it was a different road. No, but I'm like, the people... Well, I didn't see the person in, I can't see their, I like, I made eye contact, but I can't, like, see facial features. Like, I don't. Was it, they both dudes? Yes. Okay. They've all been men. Then one day, this one was the scariest one, was I walked out to my car at in my driveway. I told you about this because I called uh-huh. you, like, 4 a.m. to go to work at overtime on a Saturday. Walked out to my car got my car, I always lock my door, and I turn my car on, turn my lights on, there's someone fucking standing in front of my car. And then they just, like, walked away. So I don't know if they were, like, just walking. Right, cutting through or Cutting what? through or something, but, like, the minute I turned my lights on. But they didn't react to my lights on. And they didn't fucking look in the car. They just, like, kept fucking walking. So, yeah. Have you, anyone, anyone at all had any weird thoughts like that? Let me know because this is happening. So you're aware you're fucking like walking me to the garage at least <laughs> now. Because now I gotta walk at my parents' house and drive to my parents' house, fucking walk in the country to their house, up the driveway. And it was on the road to your parents' house that first one happened. 60? Mm hmm. Gross. Yeah, no. And then one happened when I was driving. Where was I driving? One happened when I was driving to work, and then one happened when I was driving to Otana on the back roads. Like, it's fucking weird. And there's not, I'm always looking like, is there a car? Were they, did their car break down? Were they walking somewhere? Right. Like, I've never seen, and I mean, it's dark, so maybe I don't see, like, the car or something. But, like, no, it's literally middle of nowhere. There's no cars around, and it's just a dude walking down the middle of the road. First of all, don't walk down the fucking middle of the road. Right. Without any reflective clothing on. Like, be on the side of the road if your car fucking broke down. Yeah. And the first guy was not moving. He was literally just standing in the middle of the road. Was he facing you? I couldn't. Like, I literally was driving. I'm like, nope. I'm, just, I'm not fucking staying to investigate. And I just kept driving. I don't know which direction he was facing. The first guy, I have no idea. But it's scary. That is weird. I don't like it. So that's, we just, we're not going to end these on a happy note. We're going to end them on an even spookier note. Right. Enjoy that, kids. You're welcome. 
I'm all anxious now. I can tell you about how my grandma visits me regularly no. from beyond the grave. You don't want to talk about creepy stuff right now. That's not creepy. That makes me feel good. Well, I'm glad it makes you feel good. My grandma doesn't scare me. She's awesome. My grandpa visits me, too. It's lighthearted. It's not scary. Any of this stuff freaks me out. (laughs) I'm not going to sleep tonight. (laughs) It's already late. I got to drive home in the dark, walk in in the dark. I'm afraid of the fucking dark. (laughs) I'm sorry, the what? The dark. The dark. Yeah, I'm a child and I'm afraid of the dark. Oh, poor baby. You can wrap this shit up or not? Nah? Yeah, I think we probably should. So, uh, you know, follow us on everything, even though we make you feel like shit. Um, that's what I feel like the end of this is. Like, sorry you feel crappy now, but. You're fucking fine. Listen to us again. Stay positive, you piece of shit. <laughs> Jesus. That meme I shared with yeah. Chris today. Uh. <laughs> But anyway, follow us on all the social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. I fucking hate Twitter. But, Always. But sometimes I remember to put things on Twitter. We need a t-shirt that says I fucking hate Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, all those, ISW the podcast. Otherwise, do all the send things us, and all the stuff. Send us creepy things, like whether it be a message on one of those deals. Don't like, not like a message, like a direct DM that makes us creepy and wonder if you're watching us. Like a creepy story. <laughs> yeah. Like, let me clarify. <laughs> like something paranormal or even like you don't really know what the fuck it was. Yeah. Something like that. Send it to us. I find those fascinating, scare the fuck out of me, but I find them fascinating. Uh, you can send them to our Gmail, iswthepodcast at gmail.com. Um, otherwise, fucking keep it rolling. We appreciate you guys for listening. Thanks for listening. Hey, do you want to see, hear another funny story? Sure. Okay. I just thought of one. I thought I saw like a fucking, <laughs> you're going to laugh at me. I was like, was that a fucking Bigfoot? Like, I saw something <laughs> driving to work. Okay. I saw, like, this big shadowy creature on the side of the road. And I was like... Was it a hay mound? No. <laughs> no, that would be funnier, but no. I was, like, creeped the fuck out. I was like, what the fuck was that? That was way too big to be, like, a dog. I don't understand what that was. And then I realized that there's one cow... In this field that I drive by that gets out all the time. Oh. So, like, I'll be driving home and it's just, like, fucking trying to hitch a ride on the fucking side of the highway. Like, just chilling. And then I realized it was that farm right by that where the cow always gets out. I was like, that's a fucking cow. But I understand now why people, like, see things like that and they're like, that was a fucking Bigfoot. Like, if it was, like, a city person that drove, like, this road at one point and saw that and they wouldn't. Like, it literally took me a solid 45 seconds to realize it was a fucking cow. I was like, what the fuck was that? That was a big-ass creature. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the farm where the cow always gets out. This is just a fucking cow, man. I totally know exactly where that is, too, because when I was driving to Kenyon from Jesse's the one day, mm-hmm. there was a, the cow was out, and yeah. it was in the middle of the road. Oh. And I took a Snapchat as I was stopped trying to get around it because it was, like, mid-walking, so I couldn't quite get around it. So I had yeah. to wait until it got a few steps over so I could go around. I took a Snapchat, and I put, holy cow! <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I get out and clap my hand so it runs back into the field if it's too close to the road. Like, hey. scooch! Scooch yourself back in! Oh, oh, I was just sitting there like this, and it looked at me cow. like this. Huh. <laughs> like, what the fuck's your problem? <laughs> it's like, hey, hey.
Could you fucking move? <laughs> so there, there's my Good job. My cryptid that was not a cryptid, it was just a cow. It was just a fucking it's just a cow. It's just a fucking cow. In rural Minnesota. <laughs> it's just a fucking cow. Nine times out of ten guys, it's a fucking cow. <laughs> Especially around here. Yeah. Uh, Alright, that's it. Alright. Thanks guys. Bye. Okay, bye. Ew. Okay. Stop it!